Chapter Seventeen of Aunt Hannah and Martha and John by Pansy and Mrs. C. M. Livingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter Seventeen. Ready to make sacrifices. If Elsie Chilton, sitting so cosily in a low rocker in the pretty back parlor of the Remingtons, could have heard the conversation which was taking place that evening between Alec Palmer and her mother, and could have realized its portent her fair face might well have clouded with anxiety. As it was, the face was grave, thoughtful, giving the impression that topics of importance were under discussion, but there was no shade of anxiety. This young woman believed that the lines of life had fallen to her in pleasant places, and not the least among the blessings for which she daily thanked God was the coming of the new pastor and his wife. If Aunt Hannah was praying, as John and Mattie Remington knew she was, Certainly her prayers seemed to be having rapid answer. The beautiful world, which had begun insensibly to get such a hold on this fair young Christian, was already losing its grasp, thus far in a pleasant enough manner. Perhaps the girl had inherited from her praying mother a tendency to higher things than had for years surrounded her, and therefore it was that she glided so gracefully into her native element so soon as she recognized its presence. Whatever was the reason, Alec Palmer was right in his belief that these narrow-minded people were certainly weaving a spell of influence about her stronger than she realized, and more in harmony with her own heart-longings than she herself understood. Heretofore Mrs. Chilton had been but vaguely disturbed by it all. There had been the impression, rather than the knowledge, that some strong foreign element was slipping itself in between herself and the girl whom she had, through all these years, so readily influenced. She exerted herself to place Alec Palmer at his ease, and in harmony with himself, and succeeded. But all the time she was carrying on a troubled, undertone of thought, so troubled that she was glad when the gentleman took an early departure, leaving her free to think and plan without the embarrassment of keeping it all beneath the surface. There had been a little added ripple of discomfort just before he went. He had taken advantage of the long years of friendship between them to look boldly at his watch more than once before he said, "'May I ask what time you expect, Elsie? Or is it to be my pleasure to go for her? I suppose, however, no message was left for me, or I should have received it before this.' With a little flush of anxiety on her face, the matron admitted that Elsie had left no word with her. "'She was, of course, not expecting you this evening, or she would have been at home. Despite the, of course,' There was an element of anxious inquiry in the tone. Mrs. Chilton was already beginning to wonder to what lengths of thoughtlessness Elsie's present infatuation might have led her. Oh, no, Mr. Palmer said. He had made no engagement, other than the tacit one that he would drop in when he could. He had half expected to be engaged at the club room this evening, but had been happily disappointed. Then you might go for her, said Mrs. Chilton, brightening. It's a lovely evening for a walk. A long, slow walk homeward under the quiet stars might be just the possible opportunity for soothing the evidently disturbed feelings of this young man. It was momentarily growing more apparent that he needed soothing, especially when he said quite stiffly that he would not like to intrude, perhaps she had made other arrangements. "'Oh, Alec,' Mrs. Chilton had said, affecting to laugh, "'don't be absurd, as if your presence could ever be an intrusion to Elsie,' You don't deserve her, you foolish fellow. She then rung the bell and made inquiries of Jean, Elsie's special attendant and protege, only to learn that Miss Elsie had directed her to say that Mr. Remington would be detained late tonight in a minister's meeting away downtown, 
and that she would therefore remain all night with Mrs. Remington. "'Then why did you not tell me as soon as I came home?' Mrs. Chilton asked sharply, venting her irritability on poor Jean, who, however, was able to explain that she had spoken of it to Mr. Chilton, he having come in first, and that he had said very well, after which she considered her duty done. "'Then I may as well relieve you of my presence at once,' Mr. Palmer had said, as soon as the door closed after Jean. "'I ought not to have remained so long, hindering a busy woman. But you see, I was feeding my heart on false hopes.' And despite her gentle appeal to him not to be too much disturbed about the whims of a young girl, who had been fascinated for a time by a phase of character with which she was unfamiliar, he went away gloomily, leaving Mrs. Chilton extremely anxious. Something must certainly be done, or the next one knew these two young people would quarrel, and some of the most important schemes of her life would miscarry. You are not to misunderstand Mrs. Chilton. She was no vulgar schemer, trying to get rid of her beautiful young stepdaughter. The threadbare, as it may well be confessed, generally true story of miserably unhappy relations between stepmother and stepchildren is not to be repeated here. Mrs. Chilton was very fond of her stepdaughter. She took a pardonable pride in the fact that Elsie was undeniably fond of her, but she was also very much attached to Alec Palmer. She believed the two to be exactly suited to each other, and had congratulated herself even on her knees when she thought herself praying over the happy issue of her plans concerning the two. Now, here was an ominous cloud portending a storm. What could she do to avert it? Easy enough to trace the producing cause of the trouble. It might be ridiculous. She was half inclined to think it was. But nevertheless it was undeniable that Alec Palmer was jealous of the Remingtons. She really is with them too much, Mrs. Chilton told herself perplexedly. But how was it to be avoided or changed? It would be absurd to warn a young lady like Elsie against having too much to do with her pastor and his wife. Should she venture to tell Mr. Chilton just how Alec was impressed, and advise with him as to what they could do to change the tone of things? No. After mature deliberation she resolved against such a course. Mr. Chilton could be hauteur itself on occasion. He would be sure to resent the idea of Mr. Palmer finding fault with his daughter in any way, she could almost hear his voice saying coldly that Elsie was certainly free to choose her friendships as yet, at least without dictation from Alec Palmer, and as long as they were so entirely unexceptionable as at the present, he should certainly brook no interference. Pressed in that direction, he would be entirely capable of saying that if Mr. Palmer was dissatisfied with his choice, a way of release was open to him, he need not fear being held to his pledged word. No. Mrs. Chilton would not be guilty of such an unwise movement as that. Long she sat alone, thinking. Mr. Chilton was also detained late in the evening, giving her much time. When he came, her plans were, in a degree, matured. She set some of them brewing that very night. Elsie is spending the night with the Remingtons again, Jean says. I'm almost sorry, Robert, that they are getting such a hold upon the child. Why? Most people would rejoice that the pastor's family had a hold on the young people. They are unexceptionable, certainly, and very interesting. Remington has a keen brain. He's the best preacher in the city, by all odds. Oh, his preaching is well enough, I suppose. Perhaps it might be called narrow in some lines, but I'm not troubled. What I think of is their social notions. Mrs. Remington is decidedly old-fashioned in her views. Well, Old fashions are better than new, some of them. 
I know scores of young people who would be greatly benefited, in my judgment, if they could get old-fashioned. Oh, of course, you and I are in sympathy, Robert, but, you know, one can go to extremes with old fashions, as well as new. Perhaps I mean that she is narrow and peculiar, and our little Elsie has the material in her out of which they make martyrs. She could take up false views and carry them to martyrdom on occasion. Mr. Chilton left off the effort to unfasten a refractory button, and faced around upon his wife. What do you mean, Augusta? Oh, nothing very formidable. I'm merely thinking aloud. Elsie is young and impressionable. Let her once get the idea, for instance, that she is to sing nothing but psalms, and what will her glorious voice amount to, as well as her influence in society, which is more important. Of course, when one adopts extreme views in regard to any question, one loses influence in circles where it ought to be used. What leads you to think that Elsie is in danger of any such nonsense? Well, not to that extreme, perhaps, but she sang a hymn at the Meredith's entertainment last week, a very solemn one indeed, and threw a gloom over the entire gathering, as you may imagine. Moreover, she declined to dance with young McMartin the other evening, not a round dance, a mere promenade through private parlors. Of course, it made Mr. McMartin very conspicuous, as he is young and easily embarrassed. I am afraid it annoyed his father as well. I am wondering if it would not be wise for you to give Elsie a hint that you would like her to be considerate of young McMartin, at least, for his father's sake, but I don't know that that would do any good. It is somewhat difficult to understand you tonight, Augusta. Why shouldn't it do good for me to express an opinion to my daughter? It always has, I'm sure. Yes, but, as I told you, Robert, I am almost afraid these new people are inclining her to be fanatical. They do not approve even of the plainest kind of parlor promenades. I have heard Mr. Remington say as much, and I have noticed that Elsie has declined to dance several times of late. I am really afraid they are giving her false ideas of life. She is certainly much impressed by them, and they are young and unaccustomed to thinking, except in grooves. They are just the sort of people who would find it difficult to see why what was not the proper thing for them should be entirely suitable, and even desirable, in a young girl in society. Of course, it does not matter to us whether Elsie dances or declines to dance, save as she makes herself conspicuous in an unpleasant way, and offends people, as she certainly will, for she has been very fond of dancing, you know, a leader, indeed. Oh, there is nothing serious, Robert, you need not worry. Only I have thought for Elsie's sake so long, I cannot help looking ahead and thinking now. It would seem a pity for even a pastor to have a stronger influence in the family than the father of that family, you know. Of course, I cannot conceive of such a thing with Elsie, and yet, as I tell you, they are peculiar in the extreme, and one never knows to what lengths such people will go. Perhaps if we could interest Elsie in other lines for a while, it might be wise. And then this wise and good woman, after some more solitary thinking, went to sleep. I have not used the adjectives in sarcasm. She was a wise woman in her way. She was also, in her way, a good woman. She knew, it is true, that her husband, despite her advice, would worry a little, but she also knew that some worrying was necessary. Robert Chilton was a rich man, a very rich man. His position in society and in business was assured, yet, like businessmen generally, his interests were more or less involved with those of other rich men. There were days together when it might involve him in great discomfort, not to say embarrassment, to have the senior Mr. McMartin, for instance, feel coldly toward him. 
There were also other considerations than those of wealth. Mr. Chilton had ambitions. So had his wife. He was a leading man politically. He had fair hopes of being even a more pronounced leader in the future. He had of late been planning his business with a view to leaving it in other hands for a time, should he be called upon by the people to fulfill an important trust. He had let this feeling come to the surface even in his prayers, in the form of such phrases as, Grant that none of us may shrink from taking our turns as servants of the public, whenever the best interests of the people shall seem to demand that we sacrifice ourselves. The senior Mr. McMartin knew, as did certain other leading businessmen, that Robert Chilton would be willing, on occasion, to so sacrifice himself, and it was perhaps desirable, for the sake of the people, that they should be willing to aid and abet this sacrifice on his part. Therefore, well, I am sure you see the point. I am sure, at least, that Mrs. Chilton saw and sympathized with it, and with all the other and finer points involved. But remember, I am also sure that she had, or honestly thought she had, Elsie's best interest at heart. Could she not plainly see that such a course as Elsie was pursuing would, sooner or later, alienate Alec Palmer's affection? Then what a life of misery for poor Elsie! The curious fact is that, before she slept that night, Mrs. Chilton distinctly felt this thought thrilling through her heart. There will be no way to break up the intimacy between them save by separation. There is no reasonable place for Elsie to go at present for a long stay, and even if there were, it is not desirable in her present state of mind to separate her from Alec. Then the other alternative is to get rid of them. I have put it in bald English, but Mrs. Chilton did not. This is what she meant, but this is the way she told it to herself. A daughter's place is in her father's house, but I am really afraid of their influence. Alec is far-seeing, and he evidently dreads it. Why, he even hinted that the child might go on the platform. I wonder what her father would have said if I had told him that. He would have forbidden Alec the house. That is what would have happened to the poor foolish fellow, who ought to be glad that he has so sensible a friend as I at the helm. But I, who can control my temper, ought to be able to heed the warning. The point is, if their influence is to be feared in our family, why not for other young people? All will not be influenced in the line that Elsie is taking. Very few of them will, I presume. Elsie is peculiar in some things. Her mother must have been a strange woman. What the others will feel is a repellence toward such straight-laced notions, just what Alec feels today. It is an unfortunate thing for a church when its leading young men discover that they cannot hope for sympathy and encouragement from their pastor because he has lived in a bandbox of Puritanism, thought in circles so long that he has forgotten what young life means. Really, when I think of it in that light, I cannot but feel that we have made a serious mistake in calling him to our church. What is brilliant preaching, after all, if the young and emotional are to be alienated? We might better listen to the monotonous droning of poor, dear Dr. Bourne all our lives than to sacrifice real sympathetic influence to brilliancy of diction and the charm of eloquence. Still, it is so short a time since they came, and they have been at such heavy expense in settling among us. I'm sure I do not know what to do. We cannot sacrifice our children for such paltry considerations, it is true, but, oh dear, we mean it for the best, but I'm afraid we made a sad mistake, and I suppose a mistake, when once acknowledged, should be righted as soon as possible, no matter at what sacrifice of feeling. 
So, you see, here was still another soul who desired not to shrink from sacrifice when the good of the people demanded it. Will you hastily call her a hypocrite? Nothing could be more entirely unjust. When Mrs. Chilton, with the next morning's light, went about her partially perfected plans for correcting a mistake, she thought as emphatically as ever St. Paul did that she was doing God's service. Had she prayed about it? Yes, she thought she had. She had gone on her knees and said that she wished to be so directed that what they had to do might be done in no spirit of bitterness, with no thought of malice, and might be accomplished with as little pain to the feelings of others as possible. You'll observe that as to what they had to do, she seemed to have made up her mind without the help of prayer. End of chapter 17